Welcome to Great Loop Radio, brought to you by America's Great Loop Cruisers Association. We're dedicated to sharing Great Loop information and inspiration with those actively cruising, planning for, or dreaming about a Great Loop adventure. This is Kim Russo. I'm the director of AGLCA. Today we have kind of a special treat. It is actually AGLCA's birthday month and we're celebrating our 20th anniversary. And our guests today are Ron and Eva Staub, who are the founders of AGLCA and the authors of the very popular book, Honey, Let's Get a Boat, which is often credited for kind of uh, starting the recognition of the Great Loop. So I'm thrilled to have them with us today. Before we start the conversation, I want to take just a moment to recognize and thank Thank our Admiral sponsors who support AGLCA at the highest level. They are Beneteau, Curtis Stokes and Associates, Dog River Marina, Passage Maker Trawler Fest, Skipper Bob Publications, and Waterway Guide Media. As always, we encourage our listeners to support these businesses that support the Great Loop. Ron and Eva Staub, welcome to Great Loop Radio, and thank you for joining me today. Oh, you bet. Thank you for having us. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited to have you here, and I'm excited that you're going to be coming to the Fall Rendezvous because this really is a big event, 20 years since AGLCA was founded. So let's start by filling everything, everyone in about how you found out about, about the Great Loop because your book, of course, is the way many people have found out about it. So before Honey, Let's Get a Boat was written, you two found out about the Loop somehow and decided to do it. So tell us that story. Well, we in 1990, we uh, rented a Faw Tug and cruised just the Trent Severn Waterway. And while we were, my sister and her husband were with us, and they had known about this Trent Severn and, and Waterway, and they said, let's do that. So they found a boat, and we spent a week or two uh, on the boat, on the waterway. And while we were in Bob Cajun, we saw a boat, a big, like 36, 40 foot boat going the opposite direction. And, um, they had Norfolk, Virginia on the transom. We says, how did you get here from Norfolk, Virginia? Well, they had come up the, the uh, Mississippi River, had to come in that way. But that was the, I said, how did you get into Chicago from, from the Mississippi? And anyway, that was the first time we realized that actually the eastern North America is a big island. And I, I said, sometime later, I said, why don't we do that? That's all inland. I had done some research and found out it was an all an inland waterway. You hardly ever were out in the big bad ocean. Mm-hmm. So uh, <laughs> that's when we found out that you could actually do this. Interconnected waterways, the canals, rivers, and so forth. Mm-hmm. So back in 1990, when you found out you could do this, what kind of resources were there? You know, Eva, you said you did some research. What did you find about the Great Loop at that point? Well, I went to the library. This was before the days of the Internet. You right. couldn't go on the Internet and, and do all the research you wanted to. I actually had to go to the library, and I researched boating and cruising and uh, inland waterways. I read a book on cruising the inland waterway, and, and uh, that was just, of course, the intercoastal. Mm-hmm. And uh, so it was just that kind of, of uh, legwork tough legwork <laughs> and at that time of course that nobody was calling it either the great loop or the great circle that we found out um we uh we did find out then more and more about it and i was getting kind of fed up with my job ron was travel writing he was writing a feature writer for the local newspaper in san luis obispo county and uh, california and uh, so he was doing some travel writing, and we thought, hmm, this would be a nice little travel. We could do a, a 
lots of travel stories on this trip. So uh, we kept doing research, and we we knew we weren't boaters, so we had just that one one experience on the Trent Severn. So we knew we had to get educated before we ever decided to do a trip like this. So we joined the power squadrons. Yeah, there weren't a lot of people on the waterways doing the Great Loop at the time that we did it in '94. So we didn't have a lot of people to, or anybody to talk to about the Great Loop. Uh, and when that spouse, uh, we buy a boat, get a boat, and do the Great Loop after having done the Trans Severn Waterway summer on a chartered fall tub. I thought it was ridiculous, but uh, then I saw it as a great writing opportunity. So I said, okay, let's. He also bought a book called Chapman, Seamanship and Piloting. Mm -hmm. And so we thought, well, this is, we found out that this is like the Bible of boating. So we started checking out that and doing some reading and research um, through the book. But in the back, the flap, there was a little blurb about joining the United States Power Squadron. And we thought, oh, this is a good way to learn about boating. We'll join the Power Squadron. And there happened to be a local chapter not far from us in on the central coast of California. So we joined the power squadrons and started taking classes. We were grossly ignorant about boating, navigation, and so forth. Uh, we felt very inept and uh, needed to educate ourselves. And so we tied into the United States Power Squadron via the back cover of Chapman's uh, pilot. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think it's really fascinating that the two of you were not boaters before you did this, because I think at least when I first got involved, uh, most of the people doing the Great Loop had been um, experienced boaters for some period of time. But today, we've got lots of people who have never really boated before that are uh, getting interested in the Great Loop and preparing themselves for it. So I just really think it's it's really fascinating that the folks that kind of started all of this also were not experienced boaters and um so glad that you're mentioning getting prepared before you go and taking some classes and educating yourself. What year was it when you actually did the loop? We did it in 1994. Mm-hmm. And from there, from Fort sorry, Lauderdale in mm-hmm. February in 1994, mm-hmm. finished back at Fort Lauderdale in December of 1994. Since you brought up Fort Lauderdale, I wasn't going to ask this, but since you brought up Fort Lauderdale, I am going to. Have you seen the little clip of the Jeopardy category on the Great Loop? <laughs> yes, we have. <laughs> that just tickles me to death. But uh, <laughs> yeah. one of the questions that, or one of the answers, I suppose, on Jeopardy was about where you two started the Great Loop from, and none of the contestants got it right. So it right. is Fort Lauderdale. <laughs> <That's right>. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you did the loop, and I would love to hear all about that experience, but I do also want to focus on kind of how the association came to be. So let's jump to that. And if we have time, we can kind of come back to some of the things that maybe um, you experienced on the loop. But when did you decide to write the book, Honey, Let's Get a Boat? Was that during or before the trip? Because I was in the writing business and photography, uh, we made this an assignment. I, we had uh, several cameras, uh, loads of film. Uh, we recorded every thought and emotion along the way. So it became a writing assignment for me. Every night I had to transcribe my notes. Uh, we took pictures of everything imaginable. And uh, 
so it, it, it became a... He, he was sending some articles back to the newspaper uh, to, to, for them to run the articles about our trip. But we also had friends and family who wanted to know how things were going. This was back before the days of email and blogs and the Internet. So uh, instead of having to write an individual letter to all of our friends and family that wanted to know that we were still alive and kicking, uh, we did a newsletter about every three weeks. His notes would become uh, the basis for the newsletter, and I would sit at the computer and do the newsletter, and every three weeks we'd have to go and find a place to photocopy. <laughs> By the end of our trip, we were sending out like 40 newsletters every <laughs> three weeks, and we had to actually do physical newsletters because nobody wow. was doing blogs or emails or anything at mm -hmm. that time. And so that became the basis for the book. That became the rough draft for the book. Mm -hmm. We were also what? writing for voting magazines. Uh, mm -hmm. We were hoping that we would be able to supplement our income along the way by publishing stuff, uh, pitching editors, and uh, uh, getting our name and story out of it in print. Mm -hmm. So when was the book first published? In 1999. After our, great, after our trip, we sat down and said, this is this is too good a story to, to not be a, a book. So uh, I went back to my, our, we went back to our lives in our home and my job at the hospital after our trip California. in California. And uh, Ron set about making the newsletters and his notes into book proposals. So we tried, uh, we finally got the book together that we thought we wanted to have published and uh, we were sending out book proposals and getting rejection after rejection. And so we decided that if this book was going to get published, we were going to have to do it ourselves. So that's how we ended up doing the book. Mm -hmm. And uh, so we self-published it. Meanwhile, we left our, my, I quit my California, my job. We sold our California house, moved to ten, Tennessee, and got a, a piece of land on, on the lake and we're building a house at the same time, we're publishing a book. That was a real busy time. And then the book got uh, delivered to our doorstep in the spring. I think it was February or March of 1999. And we said, okay, now we've got this book. How do we let the world know it's here? So I got on the Internet. By that time, we were, we were on the Internet. This was in 1999. So we were on the Internet, and I was, I was cruising every night trying to find voting organizations, voting interest voting forums and so i was constantly um finding uh and responding and making comments uh about the the great loop and so we we had tied up with the trawler fest west marine trawler fest said that we have a new book we have an, a seminar we're ready to give um presentations on for people who might be interested in cruising the Great Loop. So George Kolesnikov, who owned the Trawler Fest at the time, said, okay, come on down. But we already have somebody who's doing it on the Great Loop. Um, it, they called it the Great Circle. And he says, do you have another seminar? So we did one on locking through that first Melbourne Trawler Fest in uh, April of 1999. So that, and, and while we were there, they gave us a table to sell our books. We sold a bunch of books. And we put out a little sign-up sheet. Are you interested in becoming charter members of a boating organization about cruising the Great Loop? We got 14 signatures. We thought of it as a club. 
an information club. Uh, we would share stories, and uh, we would publish a newsletter every other month, and uh, we would invite uh, anybody who was a member to um, contribute material. Uh, we produced all the material for the first newsletter, and then we were empty, so we relied on other people for their input, perspectives, uh, stories, and so forth. Uh, soon we had a newsletter of 16 pages, and we would do that every other month. We were super busy uh, mm -hmm. as editors now on publishers of a newsletter. But that was all we planned to do with the association. Mm -hmm. We didn't plan to do anything except newsletter which to help us publicize our book. That was, right. But then the membership started wanting more. <laughs> <laughs> they started demanding uh, the uh, abergies. They wanted to get get-togethers. They wanted they wanted more and more, and we were really super busy. We also developed a website during that those first few months of the association's life. Mm -hmm. Well, and I think that trend continues today, and especially as technology changes, but there just are more and more loopers, and they're wanting more and more things, so it's been quite an interesting journey. We actually published or republished a few of the articles from that first issue of the Great Loop Link newsletter uh, from that August 1999 issue in our August 2019 issue. So that went out a few days ago. Um, but one of the things, and, and if anybody's interested in looking at those, the full edition of those early newsletters, they are on the website. If you're a member, you can uh, log in as a member and go to the documents area and see all of those. Um, but one of the articles that we wanted to highlight was one that Ron wrote talking about how we got our name, essentially, how it, it, because there was a debate, um, mm -hmm. Great Loop or Great Circle. Um, so why don't you tell us how you settled on Great Loop as the name of the association? Uh, Waterway Guide published a um, magazine. Yeah. Oh, they, they, were, they were doing regular, like they do now, regional guides. They had a feature on the Great Loop. And, they, and this was the Great, Lake, the Great Lakes edition, 1994. Yeah. And so we, got, we picked up the name Great Loop then. Uh, and it was later, I guess, that we heard uh, the term Great Circle being used. No, actually, we heard the term Great Circle first. Kopsack Pete Kopsack published a, a newsletter when he did the Great Circle, Great Loop in 1993. He was the guy living in Nashville. Uh, did this on, on a hatter, so went up the... Um, he did it clockwise. Down the Cumberland, up the... Up the, up the Mississippi and the uh, Illinois rivers during flood, spring, May wow. of 1993, during a flood time. Mm -hmm. And um, and then um, he was calling it the Great Circle. And, of course, we had been taking power squadron classes, so we knew the term Great Circle, the nautical term, Great circle. This was not a great circle, and me being a technical perfectionist, detailed <laughs> person, said this isn't a great circle. And so uh, we somehow got a hold of the that 1994 Great Lakes edition of the Waterway Guide, and in it was an article. Um, I think Walter Cronkite was featured on the cover. And uh, this article was written by a guy by the name of a contributor of the Waterway Guide called uh, Ferris. Stark, Stark Ferris, Stark and Joanne Ferris were regular contributors to the Waterway Guide at that time. They have both since passed away. 
and they were using the term great loop. Like me, they said, this is not a great circle, this should be, you know, so they called it the great loop. So we, we, weren't, we credit Waterway Guide and their contributors for the term. We also check Chapman piloting, not that we use it as our Bible all the time, but it was the source of ultimate information on navigating. And uh, they very definitely gave a concrete definition of great circle as uh, the shortest line between uh, two points. Uh, the equator is a great circle. The meridians are great circles. There are smaller circles, too, as you go up toward the poles. But the great circle was the circumnavigation of eastern North, North America, or the, the shortest distance between two points. Well, this is, this is obviously not a great circle. So, uh, it's, it's the shortest distance around a sphere, not around a great circle. Right. So we became the Great Loop, and um, the route is obviously very commonly known as the Great Loop now, mm -hmm. as opposed to the Great Circle. And that's mm -hmm. uh, somewhat thanks to Ron and Eva's decision to call us America's Great Loop Cruisers Association. Um, you mentioned that you kind of started out at some of the, the smaller boat shows, giving presentations and taking signups for the association. Um, how did rendezvous come about? Because I think you mentioned it, it was kind of by member request. We. We, the first rendezvous was in August of 2001. We had, we, we had started giving seminars to, on, with the Trawler Fest. It was West Marine Trawler Fest at the time. And they were inviting us to all of their Trawler Fests, pretty much except the ones on the West Coast. And so we were regular contributors there. They had planned a, a, another Trawler Fest up in Lake Michigan at Grand Haven in August of 2001. And then things didn't fall into place for them, and they canceled at the last minute. Well, we had already put out that we were going to be up there and that for, for the loopers as they were coming down Lake Michigan to stop in at Grand Haven at this time. So we ended up with, I think, 20 boats and how many members, 60 or something like that. We said, we'll just, we'll just have a one-day rendezvous. And so that was our first rendezvous was in August of 2001, and it was um, – and it, yeah, it they we we had a lot of fun. We had potluck dinner. We had uh, everybody just sort of sharing information. It wasn't as formal as they are, they are now, but it uh, it kind of set the stage for rendezvous. Mm -hmm. And then they said, well, this was so much fun. Let's have another one as we go down the rivers. Let's get together in Fairhope, Alabama, in November. So we did. The we we said we're not into. <laughs> running rendezvous. We did that first one, but it was so much work, we decided we didn't really want to do it, but the membership took it over. And so for the first two or three years of organizing rendezvous, they did the organizing, and they just invited us to come along. Mm -hmm. <laughs> there was no cost. Uh, everybody brought uh, potluck food. Um, the seminars were not um, delineated carefully. It was just kind of, what shall we talk about today? And so we have those kinds of discussions. We didn't mm -hmm. feature any any major uh, guidebook authors like we like we did later, but mm -hmm. initially it was like everybody just sharing information, and because uh, we didn't have a budget for providing for well known people like Skipper Bob or Claiborne Young or uh, Fred Myers to come and give us talks. Mm -hmm. So it's it's 
So nice to hear about those early days and how the association started. I do want to take a moment to play a message from one of our sponsors. When we come back, I kind of want to um, fast forward a little bit more to where we are today and some of your thoughts about how this has evolved over the years. And actually, the the sponsor we're featuring in the uh, commercial today is Green Turtle Bay which uh, it just happens to be their turn up at bat this time. But it's also interesting because they were featured in that very first issue of the Great Loop Link as well. Um, So that's how long that they've been around supporting loopers. So we thank them for that. And we will be back after this message. Green Turtle Bay Marina and Resort has consistently been voted a must-stop by loopers. It has earned the coveted five-anchor designation from Quimby's Cruising Guide. This full-service marina features over 450 slips. They are located at mile marker 31.5 on the scenic Cumberland River. Green Turtle Bay is a proud commander sponsor of AGLCA, so join them and find your waterway of life. We're back on Great Loop Radio. Our guests today are Ron and Eva Staub, the founders of America's Great Loop Cruisers Association and the authors of the Honey, Let's Get a Book I'm sorry. (laughs) Authors of Honey, Let's Get a Boat book, um, which they still sell via their website today. Um, And their website is actually very easy to find. It is greatloop.com. The association is greatloop.org. Ron and Eva's uh, company is greatloop.com. And in addition to their book, you can purchase their poster-sized maps of the Great Loop, which really is still the standard map because it's got more detail, really, than anything anybody else has put out there. So I highly encourage anyone listening, if you're interested in checking out the route and want something you can kind of um, have on your desk or hang on your wall, that's the resource for it. Greatloop.com is certainly the place to go. So, Ron and Eva, when you started the memberships, you were assigning member numbers consecutively, starting from one, um, and we have continued to do that over the years. So, 20 years later, we are now assigning member numbers in the 19,000s, which is a huge number of people. (laughs) Did you ever think there would be that much interest in the Great Loop? No. We weren't business people when we decided to uh, start the association. We just sort of played it by the seat of our pants. And no, we had no idea where it was going to go or what was going to happen with it. We just did it. <laughs> we were really considered minor players because we were inexperienced boaters. Many uh, veteran boaters and organizations and publications wrote us off. What business do these people have uh, forming an organization about boating? Uh, you know, they began with um, <laughs> with no experience at all and just uh, compiled the book and uh, had the ambition to start an organization. Yeah, we had the audacity to think we were experts. Actually, we've never claimed to be experts. We, we just relied on the information of, of the readers. Uh, every two weeks I'd be, or yeah, every two weeks I'd, I'd be editing stories that people submitted to us. So it became largely uh, membership written after a while. But we, we also, our goal was to serve as inspiration, uh, that you don't have to be experienced boaters because this is a relatively benign waterway course. And if we can do it, anybody can do it. And, and it's so uh, interesting to me that you say that because 
kind of, you know, we've, we've seen 20 years of this now, probably closer to 25 since you did the loop. And it seems like, you know, the more things change, the more they stay the same. Um, because so much of what you've described is really still what people should do to prepare and how they get inspired today. Um, so what do you think is the biggest difference for today's loopers compared to when you did the loop? I say it's two two areas. One is communications. Uh, they, there's now the internet. There's email. Everybody has blogs. There's electronic banking. We we had to do all of that manually. We had to. One of the things that we did when we stopped into port was go and and uh, pay bills or call home or because we didn't have cell phones even at that time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the other thing is equipment. Electronic charts. We only use paper charts. There was no such thing as electronic charts. Uh, we have cell phones now. We had to go to a phone booth every time we wanted to call somebody. <laughs> uh, they now have this system called AIS. We never even. We still don't know about that. Uh, but we did have GPS. We did have radar. We did have VHF. So those three things are still the same, mm-hmm. and I think people still use those. But I remember people with bag phones. On, on boats, and uh, we marveled at that. And they said, "Well, we're, we're paying two hundred fifty or three hundred fifty dollars a month for for this service." I know. So- and most of us said, "Forget that." You know, I had a pocket full of dimes and quarters. So when we got to, uh, to into a marina, we made all of our calls from a payphone. Yeah, well, they they t- said our cell phone, our our bag phone bill is as big as our fuel bill. <laughs> <laughs> sure, and. You know, that technology, of course, has changed. I think that's part of what has led to such a great interest at this point in the Great Loop, Um, because as you said, you were sending a physical newsletter to maybe 40 friends and family members. Now everybody's posting that on their social media, and it's going Mm -hmm. out to their hundreds of social media friends. And I think that has actually caused, you know, most of what we're seeing today in the trend with the growth. Um, and in fact, I had the pleasure a few years ago of screening a documentary done about um, one of the owners of the Matthews Boat Company who actually did the Great Loop with his family uh, right around um, 1900. And I was struck then as well by how much some of the things are the same. Uh, they <laughs> ran aground in the same places loopers have trouble today. Um, but, you know, you're talking about having to go to pay phones, and I'm sure loopers today can't even imagine having to find a pay phone to figure this stuff out. Um, Back then, they had to arrange for fuel trucks to come meet them Mm -hmm. along the waterway. But a truck was not a truck as we know it. it. You know, a truck was a horse and cart delivering barrels of fuel. And you couldn't phone ahead in any way to get that there. You had to to get to the meeting point and then go find them on foot. Um, So as technology has advanced. um, There's another book about historically doing the circumnavigation. And that's a book called A Year in a Yawl. And it was about three or were there four yeah, young Michigan three, boys, three, three boys. boys. And they they came down and they did the loop, uh, only they didn't call it the loop. They didn't call it the circle. They didn't call it anything. But mm-hmm. there are then these couple of historic accounts of people who did it. Way back and I've then. heard of the one of the four boys, but I haven't had the uh-huh. opportunity to read that one. So yeah, one of these days the I will track that down. Yeah, I will look for that. And actually, thank you for giving me the name because a few people have asked me that and I haven't been able to, to come up with that. So that's very helpful. Um, so what do you think then, you know, obviously a lot has changed, but uh, as I said, a lot has remained the same. 
what are the similarities you see today, you know, between today's Great Loop and the one that you did 25 years ago? Well, the vagaries of weather. You're on <laughs> a very, you're on a fluid media. Uh, every, every day is a surprise. You may have electronic navigation, but if you rely on that alone and you, you're hitting logs or other boats, or going around. How short-sighted you were. So it, it really takes uh, two people, I think, to coordinate activity on a boat, to, to know where you're going, uh, to follow the, the navigational buoys, um, um, to find the, your rest at the end of the day, whether that's in an anchorage or in a marina. So Another similarity, I think, is that's almost identical to when we did it, is the the associations you form with other boaters who are doing the same thing. You meet up with people at various places. You get together and have dock tails or anchor, at the anchorage. You go and have dinner together, and, and then you travel together for a while until somebody either is meeting somebody and they have to hang back or they have to go ahead or they have uh, trouble with their boat or something. So then you, you continue on and meet up with some others, and it's, it's the friendships that you form. On the, we still are, are great friends with some of the people that we met on the trip. And that certainly is something that hasn't changed because we still hear from Gold Loopers that the people they met is kind of the highlight of the trip for them. Uh, do you have any guess, if you had to guess, you know, how many other actual loopers did you meet while you were doing the Great Loop? And they may not have been calling themselves that at that point, but how many other people were doing this, this same route that you were following? No, I think there were hundreds. Because you're all kind of... we know? Well, yeah, but we didn't know everybody. They were either there were people that were ahead of us or behind us. And I would say there's probably hundreds of people that were doing it then and probably even more than that that are doing it now. Mm-hmm. I rather doubt that. But... <laughs> <laughs> well, it's well always, we that's always a hard number to kind yeah. of focus in on, and we get asked that a lot too. And it's a hard thing to know because you don't know where everybody is. And, of course, you know, yeah. our member database has a field where you can say that you're in progress, but some people – you know, we'll do it over several several years in small pieces. So that's always a hard number to, to focus in on. So I'm not surprised that there's some differences in the way you both remember it. Um, well, I, I remember, I think, asking a lockmaster one time, how many people do And I think he, t- he said several hundred. But, of mm-hmm. course, he probably didn't know whether they were doing the loop or whether they just happened to be going through going a, a few hundred miles downriver or whatever. Right. But, yeah. So... As we start to kind of close in on where we usually try to wrap this up in, in a amount of time, um, with just the few minutes we have left, what is the best advice that you would give to, um, let, let's ask two questions. One, what advice would you give to people who are currently on the loop? And then what advice would you give to people who are still planning or maybe even just dreaming about the loop? Uh, currently on the loop, uh, have a good time, take your time, and see everything you can. Uh, meet and greet, uh, and just uh, relish the moment. For those people mm-hmm. who are planning, uh, be ready for the thrill of a lifetime. I don't care how much education you have, and you better have plenty. Uh, you're always going to be in for, for surprises. Boats are mechanical monsters. Unless you have a mechanic living in a forward berth, you know, you're <laughs> on your own, and boats break in the most unpredictable places. Uh, I think even if you have a new boat, you're going to have that. Um, I am not a great mechanic. And I asked the power squadron people in California when we began this trip, how many tools should I take? And they said, as many as you, you can. And 
Uh, I took as many as we could. Uh, I, not that I knew how to use them all, but I, I used a lot of them. Uh, and uh, we, we found it both magical and mystical and problematic. So it, it is all of those things. I would, I would give, uh, for those who are planning and dreaming, is just do it. Don't worry about, it's like having children or buying a house. Don't wait until you're totally prepared or you'll never do it. Just cut the lines and go for it. And there's plenty of people that are around that will help you. Voters are a good community that when somebody's having a problem, they rush to the aid, unlike RVers, which we now do. Um, you just don't get that camaraderie with RVers that you do with voters. Yeah, I think you just have to open yourself up for adventure. Uh, we, when we were running the organization, uh, some new voters were so apprehensive about what they were going to encounter in Locks and in Canada, uh, they had to do the whole thing by car first. <laughs> really foolish. You're, you're, you're denying yourself the, the elements of surprise and delight. Uh, so just go for it and be open for a great adventure. Great advice from the couple who probably was first uh, to really take to heart that drop the dock lines and go and have that adventure. Um, their book, Honey, Let's Get a Boat, and that is actually Eva speaking in that title, telling Ron that they should get a boat, um, is available on their website, which is greatloop.com, and uh, still probably the best travelogue about the Great Loop. Um, very entertaining because of the way it's written, um, thanks to Ron's wonderful skills. Um, I promise you, you'll enjoy it if you pick that up. Um, and Ron and Eva, we also owe you a great debt of gratitude for starting this organization and nurturing it in those early days. And you're right, um, boaters, but loopers in particular, are an extremely helpful lot. Um, it's a community, lots of camaraderie. And I think that can part be attributed to the two of you and how you started this organization and nurtured it right there at the beginning, as I said. So Ron and Eva Staub, thank you for joining me today. We appreciate it. Thank you. And thank you, Kim, and your family for continuing uh, to nurture the organization and keep it going. It's, it's our baby, but you've taken over and raised her. Oh, it's my pleasure. I have the greatest job in the world because I get to talk and work with people all day who are on this amazing adventure um, and live vicariously through them right now while I'm sitting in my office. <laughs> so it's, it's a lot of fun. So thank you both. And thanks to our listeners for joining us again this week. We'll be back next week with another episode of Great Loop Radio. Until then, safe cruising. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.